joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Missy. Good morning, Christ Central. For those of you who are visiting with us, I'm not the senior pastor. Uh, my name is Omari Hill. I'm an assistant pastor here. Our pastor, Howard Brown, is away uh, at the Men's Retreat for Hope Community Church, which is one of our sister churches. And uh, so we love that community over there and are glad that uh, our pastor gets to be with them uh, for the weekend uh, with the men and have been praying for them and ask that you would also pray for him and for those men as they gather um, to uh, let the gospel go deeper into their hearts as well. I also wanted to uh, share a little something with you quickly, just... Um, Maybe you were sitting here and you heard the singing and you were led and you're like, man, that's great. And we, we talked, to, you know, we sang about the angels. And, you know, that angels sing too, right? Angels, they, uh, you know, throughout the scriptures, we see them uh, singing uh, at the announcement of Jesus' birth. And we see them singing in the book of Revelation and things like that. And maybe you thought, you know what? I may not be able to sing like an angel, but I, I, I got a little voice too. I'd love to be able to you know, offer to the Lord in a worship service or something like that. You know, maybe your, 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 your iPhone, your uh, Apple Music or Spotify is your best friend, and you kind of put that playlist on, and your certain song comes on, and you start singing. And you're like, man, it'd be great just to be a part of a group of people who are uh, using their vocal cords just uh, to praise the Lord together. Consider joining our worship team. Um, just talk to Kelly Brown. We're looking for, for singers or more folks to join uh, the lovely people that you see up here uh, every single uh, Sunday. And uh, so if you would like to, uh, if you're interested in that, and maybe you have questions about what rehearsal looks like, does your voice have to be, do you have to be like Pavarotti or something like that when you're saying, you know, this, um, no, you don't. But just, um, I, I know because I actually used to, I used to be up here, um, used to sing with the, the praise team uh, back in the day. So, and my voice is not that great, so, <laughs> so but anyways, <laughs> I know what that's about, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I just want to just uh, um, implore you uh, to, uh, to seek out Kelly Brown if you're interested in joining the praise team. So as often as I've had the opportunity to be before you and to speak to you uh, concerning God's word, uh, I've been preaching from various passages, but for a little while, uh, I thought that I would go through... First Peter, First Peter being um, shorthand for the first epistle that the Apostle Peter uh, wrote and that is uh, saved for us in the scriptures. And the reason why I picked uh, First Peter and wanted to go through that is because our lives are marked by suffering, right? Suffering is sort of interwoven into our stories and there's no way to get away from it. And yet in many times we try to conform our lives, or conform our stories to something glorious, something that will, that will work, something that will be beautiful. And I believe that this epistle that Peter writes to these first Christians connects to that longing, that desire that we have. And the picture that he paints for us as you read through his epistle 
of, of our lives is, is, is that of a pilgrimage. Like the Bible describes those who are following Jesus as pilgrims, uh, that we're, we're on a journey, that we're on our way home. But uh, during that journey home, we encounter dangers, toils, and snares, right, as the, the song says. And uh, in some sense, we're in exile. We're far away um, from where we belong. We want to be in a place, we long for a creation, for, for an earth and for a life that is devoid of sin and death. And God promises that to us, but we're on our way there. It's not there yet. We're not there yet. So we need hope for our journey, hope that will, that will, uh, that will glorify God and even make some, some sense and some difference of the here and now that, we, that you and I experience. And the good news that we get from Peter as he's going through this epistle is not only do you and I hate suffering, but, but God hates suffering too. And he's intended to do something about it. And today's text shows us that, that God has a plan for, 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 for getting rid of the suffering that you and I experience, and that plan is called grace. And, the, and the, that grace is so good. It's so spectacular that the angels look into it. Did you catch that? The end of the text is so good that the angels uh, uh, look into that. And the word, when it says, when it says long, uh, the, the, the word there in the Greek is um, parakuto, right? So I went to seminary so I can pronounce Greek words. Um, parakuto. It means that they, it literally means that they, they stoop over. They're, they're bending to look in at the angels of falling over themselves to see what is this that God is doing? This is amazing, right? And, and so the, we want to learn a little bit more about this grace. And Peter uh, um, breaks this down for, for his audience, for his readers, because these are, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about what, they, uh, what their experience was like, but he begins to tell them and implore them to entrust themselves to the grace of God, to give their lives over to it, because these were first century believers, first century Christians, the first Christian communities that to ever exist. And they had heard and they believed that Jesus is alive and that he's Lord over everything. But yet, in the reality, they were still under Roman oppression. They were still under Roman rule. And uh, uh, people around them still worshipped other gods and still believed that Caesar was Lord. And so that this whole idea of living a faithful life and following this Lord who had conquered death and was risen was, was, starting, to, was starting to get kind of hard for them. This was, it was getting tough, and they were, they were tempted to look for something else. And so Peter writes... Uh, in this text, you know, he, he, he goes, to, goes in to encourage them. It's not only were they experiencing religious persecution, which could be like violence or just isolation or those uh, uh, looks of suspicion from other people, but they were still experiencing the common uh, effects of suffering, the common kinds of suffering that you and I experience all the time. If Jesus is alive, where is the, where is the resurrection? <laughs> right? I mean, on this side of Easter... We're still asking the same question. I'm still suffering. I still experience discomfort. I'm still going through things. Like, you, you, you ever just sometimes, just you're watching like a TV show, and, um, and you just wish that that were your life? Like maybe, like, maybe something's going on in your family, and it, your family is just not right, and so you start, you, like, you're watching something like This Is Us or something, and you're like, man, I, I, wish, I wish Randall was my husband, you know, or I, I, I wish, uh, you know, I wish Jack was my dad. You know, and all that, and, and 
you know, maybe I need to move to Pittsburgh, you know, so I can make things work, right? We're, we're asking these questions. What do, what do we do on the other side of Easter? We're, we're still going through it. And Peter says to these first Christians and to us, rather than envy what somebody else has, rather than envy what someone else is experiencing, the blessing that they have in their life, why don't we entrust ourselves to God's grace? So we're going to look into that a little bit because I think that that can be sort of a trite, churchy answer at some level, right? I'm having hard times trusting God's grace. You know, my family's jacked up. My marriage ain't working. Trusting the Lord's grace. Okay, right? That's, um, that's nice. You know, that's what you're supposed to say when you've been in Sunday school for 15 years, right? Um, but I, but my, my burden this morning is to help that answer to make sense to you, to break that down a little bit, just as the Apostle Peter does. So why don't we do that? We need to look at first, uh, what is the grace of God? What is it? I mean, what, is, what becomes clear to us over time as we're reading the scriptures is that the grace of God is not just a power, but it's a plan. It's God's plan for our rescue. And it was promised to us, not, not just in the, the, the last 2,000 years, but it's been promised from the very beginning of human history. It was promised to Adam, and then many years later, it was promised again to Abraham. And, it's a, and so it's, it's a promise that you can count on, as the Apostle Peter says. He, 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 ta- he talks here about, like in, in verse 10, he says, let me find my text here. He says, uh, he says concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied, about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. So it's ancient. The prophets who prophesied, like hundreds and thousands of years ago, have been talking about this grace which was to come. It's ancient. Right? It's not a, a new invention. It's not something that uh, a, a, a few, you know, perhaps like holy kind of people just came up with and said, man, this is really going to come up. This is really going to help people through some hard times. Let's just put this down on paper. No, it, it has come from the Lord, and it's been around for a very long time. And Peter's telling us that the, that the promise that, that God has made to us, to his creation, it begins to unfold over history. And it unfolded before the prophets, and the, the prophets, even uh, uh, throughout history, continue to testify to God's promise of grace. Now, something you need to understand about when, when Peter talks about prophets here, he's not just talking about particular prophecies, like, you know, here's this one, here's that one, here's this one, which I'll, and I'll outline some of those in a minute. But prophets is sort of shorthand for the entire what we would call the Old Testament, right? I like the term Hebrew scriptures, but that's neither here nor there. But, you know, the, the prophets is shorthand for the, the inspired writings, right, concerning God's dealings with his people, uh, before Jesus showed up on the scene. And so when, so when, when Peter's saying that uh, the prophets, you know, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, he's talking about the entire Old Testament. And when you begin to unpack it, you don't just see prophecies, but you see things like uh, types of certain things, which Christ fulfills later, uh, but, and, as well as the events that he, he fulfills and, become clear, and becomes clearer over time. What are some of these prophecies? Let me look at this. Let me look at this for a second. We need to unpack this because I, I think as, as Peter's readers are, 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 get, are getting his letter, they sort of have some of these things, some of this furniture in the back of their minds, and maybe we need some of this this morning. 
Remember in, in Genesis chapter, chapter 3, like, which was given to us through Moses and, and his students, that you know, the promise was made to Adam and, and Eve and to all of his children. When after the fall and after Adam and Eve had sinned, he says, and I will cause hostility between you, talking to the enemy, to Satan, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The angels knew about this too. And they were wondering, what does this mean? And the prophets wondered, what does this mean? In Genesis chapter 12, when, when God sent word to, to Abraham, he said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. What is that? How is God going to fulfill that? And, and in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 18, when, uh, again, when, you know, received through Moses, but uh, spoken of to, to Jacob, to, uh, he, he spoken of uh, uh, about Moses and speaking of someone that was to come. He says, and Moses continued, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So there's a prophet who's coming, right? But who is that? What are we talking about? In, in chapter 49 of Genesis, he says that the scepter will not depart. That is, the, the, the ruler, the kingship, the lordship will not depart from Judah, nor the, the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. Who is he talking about? In Isaiah chapter 60, he says, Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Psalm 45 says this. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Then he says, therefore God, your God, has anointed you. God's God has anointed, what? Pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. What is it? Right? And the prophets, that they received this and they, they share it. What? They searched into it. They, they started digging into it. What, what could God possibly mean with this? Like, we know that this is true, that there's something in here. But, but what is he talking about? And then lastly, I, just, I want to share with you from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And this, I have to just read this one because it's so, it's so good. Um, verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who, who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days through him. The will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish, he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he will bear their iniquities, their sins. 
Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with those who rebel, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Who were these prophets speaking of? See, we're on the other side, and so we're like, oh, we, you know, all right, you know, Sunday school, what's the answer? Jesus, right? We know, but the prophets didn't. And, yet, and, they, and so they, they were hoping for what was to come. And they inquired carefully and began to dig in, and, and, they, and they paid attention to the Lord and were willing to follow his ways until they would see what would come about. And so these, these Christians, right, that, that, that Peter writes to, he's telling them, look, you, just like we, are on the other side of things. The prophets were looking into it, but it was revealed to them that the grace and the who and the when of it was not for them to know, but it was for you to know. And yet they were faithful. And the angels, as they were looking into, them, into it themselves, were holding their breath, waiting, waiting for Christ to appear. Now, the, the, the thing is, you know, you read some of these texts and it's like, okay, in some sense, they all just point to some, some guy, a person, albeit someone who's pretty righteous, pretty holy, right, could, could, uh, could, could uh, represent the Lord well, you know, have an exemplary moral life. But in the end, it just, it just really just sort of points to a person. And, and, the, and the apostles and, and the early Christians began to uh, let us know what was really happening, how these prophecies were fulfilled. I mean, okay, so when it talks about bruising the heel, the prophets and the angels did not know that Jesus would come and be crucified and that heel would be torn apart by a nail. They didn't know that. They didn't know that's what he was talking about. And that's how Satan and the powers of sin and darkness and, and evil would be defeated. They didn't know that when they, they talk about the blessing of the nations, that once Jesus came, that he would break down the, the wall of hostility between Jews and those who are not Jews and start bringing them together and that all nations together would worship one God together. They, he did, they didn't know that. They didn't know that when he spoke of the prophet who was to come, the one that everyone would listen to, that they, they didn't know that when Jesus appeared that the Father's voice uh, would break through the sky at his baptism and say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. They did not know that at his transfiguration, when, they, when the Peter, James, and John saw him in his glory, that the Father's voice would break through again and say, this is my Son, listen to him. He is the prophet. And it, they, did, they didn't know that when it's talked about the, the scepter and how all nations would come and be under this one king, that they were talking about Christ who would be revealed. And when it talks about the nations coming to the, the one light where they would receive truth and love and grace and mercy and all experience it together, they didn't know that one day that we would celebrate the, the festival of Epiphany, where we would see people, wise men from many nations coming at the, the birth of Jesus and, and witnessing him as a young man, and then many other rulers beginning to consign their lives and their control and their nations over to the grace of God. They didn't know this. But what this shows us is that God's grace 
takes up the entire scriptures. It is the center of the Old Testament and the New. What is at the center of God's word? It's his grace. It's just one big old testament of his holy and amazing grace. Right? And, and think about this. Like, I mean, you know, the, the angels, that, uh, again, like I was saying, like you, you, you could say, you could look at this stuff and be like, well, okay, God is somehow is going to send a special man to do all these different things. And then they looked at our plight, and they've been above us and around us and seeing us as we struggle with, with, with sin and suffering and disease and, just, and, and how we tear down each other and don't love each other well enough. And I'm sure that they were looking on and looking down and just saying, I know, I know that, God, that you love all these people, and this is your creation, and how are you going to do this? And they just keep watching and looking, and they're involved as God wanted them to be involved. And they're looking down and just, God, what... What are you going to do with it? You know, how, how is this going to happen? How are you going to win? And how, wait, God, what? Where did he go? What's he doing down there? What? Like, he's among them? Like, what kind of God do we serve? Like, what, what is this? Mind-blowing. The, the, the angels, I mean, they, 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 turn, they turn over themselves, longing to look into the grace of God, which is at work among us through Jesus Christ. Again, in verse, verse 10, he says, concerning the salvation of prophets who prophesied about that grace that was to be yours, search and inquire carefully. And then in verse 12, it says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The old and the new, infused, centered on the grace of God. And not just the grace of God, but the grace of God. Did you hear it? For you. God's grace for you is the center of the Bible, the center of Scripture. Pulls it all together. A king who would come and conquer sin and death, who opens the door of his kingdom of eternal life and glory to every tribe and every tongue and every nation. The prophets inquired about this carefully. The angels desired, they longed to see it. But what will we do? What are we going to do with the grace of God? Because we, we need to get this. The grace of God, and I, I said it's not just a power, and it's not just a plan, and it's not also, it's not even just a plan, but the grace of God is a person, right? It is, it's not a plan that comes to you by UPS, you kind of open it up, and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this thing, and, you know, make my life better, right? I, all I have to do is just follow it, and it's great. No, it's a person. And because grace is a person, that makes God's grace just a little bit more difficult, it actually makes it a problem because a person has a will. A person has their own ideas, their own thoughts. And what happens when we let the grace of God loose in our lives? This is why we need to be able to trust in God's grace, as Peter is calling these first Christians to do. We, we need to trust in God's grace. We need to be able to submit our stories to his grace because there's something at work in us it's a little bit worse than a general dissatisfaction with our lives. 
And we don't just need the grace of God to make the quality of our lives just a, a little notch better. But there's, there's something, there's a deep need that we have that the person of God's grace, that Jesus Christ kind of exposes. Because honestly, if we think about this grace, what we desire is not what I would call intimate grace, but we want distant grace, right? Say Peter's readers were, they were, they were tempted to, 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 uh, to worship somebody who was victorious, somebody who would, who, would, uh, who would bring them out and allow them to experience victory after victory in life and, and take them out of their suffering, but yet they were worshiping a God who had suffered. And this was hard because of what they were already experiencing in their lives. Right? And, and so they, they, they needed to be encouraged. Right? They, they needed to be pointed again to the grace of God. See, because they're looking around, they're just like, look, everybody else gets to worship this dictator. And their lives are going just fine. I mean, they're, they're, they're traveling over the world. They got whatever, right? You know, just like their family, good. You know, everything's working. Just look. And they, they just go and they go to this temple and sacrifice to this and do that. And everything's good. Where's our victory? Where's our glory? Where's, where's the beauty for my life? Right? I, 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 thought, I thought Jesus was Lord. But look, and we're, we're not being, and these Christians are probably thinking, look, we're, we're not being invited to dinner with other people because of our faith. We're being passed over for partnerships. Right? We're getting those, getting those awkward stares. In the, in the, uh, from other students in the school hallway, right? You know what I'm talking about. They know you're the Jesus person. You got people just looking at you, you know, all that kind of stuff, just sidestepping, don't invite you to the, the table at the cafeteria. And we, we were tempted to, like these first believers, to look at our lives and to say, this is not what I wanted. This life, my story, is not what I wanted for myself. I expected something different. And I thought God was going to change that. And so we want to escape our story. And, and in trying to escape our story, we, we try to hide our identity. As, as to, if you're a Christian, you try to hide your identity as a Christian. And, you know, just, just don't let people know because I'm just, mm -mm. you know, you mess up my life. Well, you, you, you know, I, I need to escape what, what Jesus is doing in here. Uh, I, you know, or, or begin to numb yourself because you're, your story is just something you just can't handle, right? And there are many ways that we try to numb ourselves, alcohol and drugs and sex and work and uh, pouring, in this, pouring into our children in a, in a way that, that's not healthy and, you know, all kinds, all kinds of different ways we try to numb ourselves, right? But, but some people try to escape and others will try to say, you know what, my story is not what I want, so I'm going to just get what I want. I'm going to just go after it. I have a can-do kind of attitude. And so I'm just going to go for it and get what I need and get what I want. And so you, I'm going to conquer my story rather than escape it, you know, bring it underneath my control. You know, and, and, and there are times in which, uh, you know, this, you would sit down and, and say to yourself, I, 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 I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to find a spouse. I'm going to even build a charitable organization if it's the last thing I do in order to find true meaning for my story to bring something beautiful and significant into it despite the suffering that I experience. But can it be that under our it takes a village, we are the world, people in dog-loving, keep-it-authentic kind of lifestyles, that there's really a heart 
that is deeply disappointed with God. And so there's this quiet and bitter kind of rebellion that's, that's stewing up in our hearts, and it, it, it leads our hearts, and it and starts to shape our desires. And Peter is even well aware of the religious version of this whole deal, right, which is, which is why he's speaking to believers. And, and then he says to them, he, and so he, he begins to commend God's grace to them. These are people who are already Christians. See, because even as Christians, we can get into this, uh, what I would probably call like the, the gospel hookup. You know, the, the gospel hookup, not the other kind of, uh, I, know, I know that word hookup has been destroyed now, sorry. But, but, like, but, but, kind of, but, but kind of like, you know, like you got a cousin that works at Bojangles, and you're like, you know, okay, hook me up with the biscuit. Right? You think, oh, hook me up with a free sandwich. You know, your friend just got a job at Smoothie King. Yo, you going to hook me up with a free smoothie? Hook me up. Like, that, that sort of deal, right? It's not, you thinking, you know, God's got all the power. He's got all the blessings. Yo, God, hook me up. Hook me up, right? It, it's, 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 about, it's about using, exploiting a relationship in order to get the benefits of that relationship. Thank you. All right, how's that? <laughs> so, right, so then, you know, it's, it, you know, it's about exploiting that relationship for its benefits. It's distant grace, not intimate grace. See, because somebody who has all power in their hand has the ability to start rewriting the script of your life. We know that. And so that leaves us uneasy about our lives and uneasy about uh, a, a God who is that powerful working within it because we're desperate to make something beautiful out of our troubled lives. We're desperate to make something spectacular out of the mess that we experience. Hashtag life goals, right? A lot of us use that. And then let me tell you something. It's good to have goals in life. We need to have them. But it's bad when those goals become our life, right? It's good to have goals in life, but it's bad when our goals become our life. There's a pastor, some of you know, uh, Paul Tripp. He, des he describes this as a desire for the shrunken kingdom, which is shrinking the size of our lives to the size of our lives. The shrunken kingdom. Right? I, I like to put a little chocolate on it called the shrunken place. You know where I'm coming from. The shrunken place. But it, it's the kingdom of self over the kingdom of God. Right? And, and so it, he, he helps us out a little bit. He says, how do, how do you know that you're in the shrunken kingdom or in the shrunken place? How do you know that you're sort of there? Well, in his book, A Quest for More, he, he, he talks about some fruits of, of this. And he says some ways to know that you're in the, the shrunken kingdom is uh, by first, but looking at your heart and saying, am I just all the time or pretty often just deeply disappointed with God? Now, we talked about that already, right? And then he also talks about um, there's a lack of excitement or enthusiasm in the gospel, in the grace of God, right? And he said the good news uh, of being welcomed and in God's presence to, to, to love him and to love others for his glory is no longer appealing because we're now falling in love with the stuff, what God can give us. But then there's the last thing, the last fruit 
we look at our hearts and see, am I really, am I in a shrunken place? Am I in a shrunken kingdom? He says, look at your heart and ask yourself if you're taking on the image of the shrunken kingdom treasures. The thing that you treasure in that place. Sir, if you find that your identity and meaning comes from the things of life, then you become to care more about things and about people. Right? If you're all about materialism, you start to materialize people in a way, right? And start using them for things rather than submitting to who they are. Or if your identity and meeting comes from relationships, then you become driven by what other people think, enslaved to the fear of man, right? Because I, I really need these relationships to work. My life is so messy. This is, this is going to save me. This is what's going to make it right. This is what's going to make me beautiful, What's going to make my life spectacular? And so you got to hold on to it. Or you're always trying to measure, you know, how do these people feel? And before I say this, you know, what are they going to say? Look, we've all been there. It's something I've struggled with. Right? But we, and this is why we need the true and the beautiful and the ancient grace of God to become our treasure. But it's not a plan that we can put to work. But it's a person who goes to work on us. So how does God's grace become our treasure so that we don't stay in the shrunken kingdom? The good news is that God is already taking the initiative because that's who he is. He comes after us. It's always his work first, and then we respond to him. And we see here as Peter proclaims that Christ has suffered Right? He suffered first, and he went into glory. He suffered in exile away from home. The scriptures tell us that he left his home in glory with his, with his father. He left a, a place of, uh, that was full of dignity and love and respect and honor and security and came down as a man into our lives, into our existence to lead us to glory. That he looked down into our mess a long time ago, and he decided that he would suffer for our sins so that we could share in the spectacular love of God. And by his suffering, he also conforms us to his glorious humanity. And so God has taken the initiative, and, and, and by his grace, he, he conforms us to the glorious humanity of Jesus. Let me break that down for a minute. See, he lets, he lets the, as we let the Spirit of God begin to grab hold of us and we begin to shape our lives just as we are. Then we can place our tears and our frustrations and our ambitions and the, the unwritten chapters of our lives into his hands. And then the spirit begins to shape our stories, right? Our suffering and our glory, is, it begins to take on new meaning. I mean, you know, we've talked before and we've heard the song before and I've made fun of it before, um, but, the, you know, the circle of life, which is a good song and, you know, whatever, you know, Lion King's coming to Charlotte, looking forward to that. Uh, but, you know, so, but there's, um, you know, there, man, there was this old song uh, from a cross movement, Deuce, said it, you're born, you suffer, and you die, but there's a loophole, right? There's a way through. What he's talking about there is that there's, there's this normal cycle of life in which we go through suffering and glory, or another way to say it is death and resurrection. But that resurrection doesn't last long. And at some point, death just wins. 
And so is there a way to, to break that cycle, to get through? And as we submit our lives to the Spirit of God, we begin to find out that there is a way to break through that cycle. That one day, we, we, that, that, that cycle will end and it will be all praise, all prayer, as we sang earlier. It will be all life, all resurrection. But until then, we experience little deaths and we experience little res resurrections. But see how now they begin to take on meaning because they're now patterned after the life of Jesus himself. Can we no longer begin to think like, is this an accident? That I'm going through hard stuff, you know, before I get to experience the glory? No, your, your life is right in line with the life of Jesus. And, and, and he is Lord of all, and he, is a, he has lived the perfect life as a human being, and so he has shown us the way. And so this is, there is nothing, this, uh, wow, this is actually a, a privilege in some sort of way to, be, to now realize that what I'm going through has taken on a new meaning. It is, uh, my life is in line with the life of Jesus. It is in line with God's grace. The Spirit is at work within it. Your suffering becomes the way of walking in Jesus' story. That doesn't mean it's not difficult. It doesn't mean you don't cry sometimes. It doesn't mean that it's not something that you wish would go away tonight. It doesn't mean that you don't seek help and that you seek some way to alleviate the pain or that sort of deal. You know, it's like all that stuff, that's just wrong, you know, to be able to say that, like, oh, I'm not going to go to a doctor. I'm not going to take care of myself. I'm not going to try to get a better job. I'm not going to try to seek a better school. I'm not going to try to do something different for my kids, let them have something that I didn't have, all that kind of stuff. And we're not saying that. But even as you pursue what's better for your life, you still go through hard times. You still experience tough things. But guess what? When you let the Spirit begin to grab hold of you as you're going through those things, your life is being formed after the life of Christ. You begin to see Christ at work in those struggles. But it also means that if we struggle with him now, then one day we will have everlasting glory. And one day we will participate in a new creation. And that new creation will be the only chapter of our lives forever. The Apostle Paul made it really clear when he announced that, that the grace of God in Jesus Christ, when he said in Romans chapter 8, he said, if, if we're God's children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing are the sons of God. That's amazing. And then something else happens though. As we give our lives over to the spirit of Christ as described here in the scripture, our stories are not only reshaped, but so are our souls. Now let's get this right. When he says in verse, you know, he says, uh, uh, verse eight, Speaking of Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Now here's what you need to get, we, we get this confused. When, it, when, it, when souls is being used here, we can't think like in the way that we, just, that we think of it in our times. 
for, for, for their minds during this century and for those who have, have grown up hearing, you know, being steeped in the Hebrew scriptures, they know that soul, again, is shorthand for both body and soul, right? So what, what, the, what, what Peter is talking about is not just a deliverance or salvation for your spirit, but for your whole person. But what we look forward to in the new creation is to have not just new souls, but also new bodies, that this world would be made new so that what is physical and what around us matters. Uh, so we're not only heading toward glory by grace, but we are becoming glorious by grace. The patience and the goodness and the humility and the kindness that we saw in the life of Jesus when he walked the streets and when he suffered will become who we are. We'll become who we are. These things that we've seen in his life will be who we are authentically to the core. And deep down, don't we long to be spectacular people? I mean, literally, spectacular. I don't have my glasses, but spectacles, right? Spectacular. Literally, someone to behold. You ever look into someone else's life and you just, you just wish, like, man, I wish I could be like that? You read a, you read a magazine and watch a TV show or whatever it is, and you look into it. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be just like that. Malala Yousafzai, some of you have heard of her. It's a book that came out. I saw the bookshelves for, for a while, right? I am Malala. And I was like, man, you know, who is this girl? You know, what, what is it? And then I watched, I was on, uh, watching Netflix the other day, and, um, you know, David Letterman used to have a late-night show in New York City, and he's since, he retired from that, and he's got his own show on Netflix now. Um, uh, this person needs no introduction, that sort of deal. And so Malala's on there. And so for those of you who don't know who she is, you know, he, he interviews her, and she was, um, you know, from childhood, you know, in Pakistan, in, in, in the face of the Taliban, she, she, she protested for the rights of women and girls to receive a good education. She fought for that right. And what did she get as a, as a payment for that? The Taliban came and shot her in the head. But she survived at 15 years old, 15, right? right? And for those of you who get pessimistic about teenagers and stuff, please stop that. Look, she was 15, okay? And then she, she, she has to be taken out of her home country and, she's, and to recover from her wounds, and she's still alive. And then, and then she, and as a result of that, she receives the, the Nobel Peace Prize, for goodness sake, a teenager, right? Uh, and then, you know, she's now 20 years old, only 20, right? and studying at Oxford, and she's, uh, you know, going after a degree, I think it's philosophy, politics, and economics, something like that. And, and now, like, she's, she's uh, gone around the world and has helped start new schools um, for young women and, and girls in different places of the world, not just where she, in places where she came from, but like in parts of South America, in places in Africa. Like she, she's just been going around as an ambassador 
right? Fighting for the, the rights of others um, who don't have a voice. And, and I mean, what a life. And you look at her life and like, man, I, I wish, wow. You know, and, and David Letterman is sitting across from this young woman who has been exiled from her country. She can't go back out of fear of being assassinated, right? He, he looks at her and he says, he says, wow, look, look, this is why I have to believe that there's some kind of meaning out there, he says. This is amazing, coming from David Letterman, right? He says, the seeds of evil were planted, but, but something beautiful grew forth out of the soil. That's fantastic. And some of you think, I've made too many mistakes. I've got too far to go, and I've gone too far to have a full life, to, to live a life that I can be proud of. And in the midst of the pain and the discomfort of trying to find joy in a broken world is just too, has just been too much for me. I've made some bad decisions trying to find it, and what am I supposed to do? I have a broken career, broken friendships, broken marriage, broken kids, broken spiritual life, just broke. Did I somehow miss God's intention for me? Have I missed it? Is it too late? My family's jacked up. I don't, I don't, what, I can never get as far as that. But I want you to know that you are not living God's plan B. He has always longed to make your life into a theater of his grace. As long as you're breathing, it is never too late to let the God of grace begin to go at work within you and begin to act within you. For Christ has already come, and yet the angels, the scripture says that they're, when it says that they, they long to look in, it says that they're continually Looking in, Jesus has already come. God has already come in the flesh. What are they looking at? Why do they keep looking? Let me tell you this. The desire of the angels is to see the grace of God at work in your life. The angels are watching right now. Your life is their favorite TV show. They keep that thing on DVR or whatever they need to do. They don't want to miss it. God's grace is at work in your life. That is what they long to see. But so the question for us then, friends, is will we let God go to work in us? Will we let his grace become our treasure? And will we let him lead us home? See, treasuring the intimate and ancient and spectacular grace of God makes you rejoice in your own story and not long for someone else's. And it expands your heart. Why? Because God is invested in you. He's invested in you. The prophets look forward to this. The angels look into this day by day. And though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we give you glory for when we look back over our lives, we sometimes can't help but wonder how we got over. How do we make it this far, Lord? It's because of your grace. Because you have been there at work, bringing glory out of our mess, redeeming us. And not only for a little while, but bringing us toward the glory that you have secured for us, the victory of Jesus for our bodies, our souls, for all of creation. God, we need to make much of your grace. We need to make much of it every single day because it's the center of your word. For thousands of years, you have been unfolding this thing. Oh, Lord, help us to make much out of Christ. To glory in your grace for us, that we would treasure it above all things. That we allow you to go to work in our lives. And we know that because of your grace, in the midst of the toil and the suffering and the trials that we may face, we are still living spectacular lives and becoming spectacular people simply because of your grace. We pray, oh God, that you would restore us once again to your grace, call us back to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.